Welcome to the Morning Dove Podcast. I'm Allie Felker, and I'm so glad that you're here. In this space, we seek to normalize the grief journey and increase empathy by sharing stories of loss. If you have a story or an insight to share, email me at AllieRoseFelker at gmail.com. To join our grief community and engage with the podcast, add us on Instagram at MorningDevePod. Now, on to the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of The Morning Dove. Today, I continue my conversation with Sarah with the addition of her boyfriend, Jared. In this episode, Sarah shares more about her experience and her grief journey in mourning the death of her fiancé, Caleb. Jared also explains uh, more about his grief journey as he has also lost his wife, Danielle. And we talk a lot about their relationship and how they have encouraged each other, how they have built each other up, and how they continue to be each other's rock uh, during such a difficult painful time. I hope that today's conversation will bring you hope. I hope that it will bring you encouragement and also that you will feel a little bit less alone as we normalize this grief experience and talk about what it looks like to um, not only heal but also to suffer and to be in the dark and to experience the raw painful aspects of mourning the loss of a deeply loved individual. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Sarah and Jared. Hi, Sarah and Jared. Hey. Hello. How are you guys doing? Doing okay. Yeah. We're okay. That's yeah. good. <laughs> excited to be on here. That's good. I'm excited to have you guys on. Um, I really enjoyed our conversation, um, Sarah, last week. I thought it was really enlightening and it brought up um a lot of stuff for myself to process. And I hope that it also, I know it will impact a lot of people and that a lot of people will feel very seen in it. So thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, of course. Um, so Jared, I would love to just hear more about your story, um, hear about how you met Caleb and then eventually met Sarah. Um, if you could, yeah, just start wherever you'd like and go ahead and, and share that. Oh boy. (laughs) Well, uh, for Caleb, I met him, I think it was 16 or so years ago. It might've been 15 or 16. I sort of lose track of time, but we met in high school. Oh, wow. Um, it was sort of like love at first sight or as much as can be for two incredibly straight men. But uh, we had a definite bromance going on Um, early on. He was sort of a troublemaker and I was sort of a rule follower. So eventually I think we swapped roles or met in the middle or something. But throughout the years we've lived together. Um, You know, we cried together. We went on adventures and camping. camping adventures and, uh, you know, trips with friends. I mean, it's been a really long friendship, I guess, is this, the summary of that. Yeah. Um, he and I were kind of thick as thieves. He was the, probably my best friend, best man in both my first and second wedding. Wow. So uh, I met 
Sarah, I guess, at a New Year's Eve party for 2020. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it was January 1st, 2020, and I'd heard about her plenty from Kayla, um, but this is my first time meeting her. And uh, I guess I thought she was cute. <laughs> it was my uh, wife and I both going there. We both thought that Sarah was mighty attractive and very sweet. She was, a, a, I think, a better host than hostess. Host. She was, she was better at running the party than Caleb, who was kind of all over the place. She was at least keep guiding the conversation, which is definitely one of Sarah's strong suits. <laughs> That's really cool. And so you were married at the time. What was your wife's name? Danielle. Danielle. Um, if you're comfortable, I would love to just hear a little bit about your relationship with Danielle and um, and how you know you met her. Maybe some things about her her life that you'd like to share. Uh, yeah. So Danielle and I met in 2010. Mm -hmm. Well, I take that back. We met in 2008, <laughs> uh, maybe 2000, late, late 2008, because um, she had just turned 18. And I was in the military. Uh, I, was, I think I was 22 or, yeah, I was 22 at the time. And um, we just, we started talking and we just went on a few dates, I guess. Um, we didn't really have a, relationship, I guess, until 2010. I have uh, pretty bad generalized anxiety mm -hmm. disorders. So in 2010, I kind of broke Danielle's heart. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I definitely broke Danielle's heart. <laughs> I, I dumped her during a panic attack and moved out of the country. Uh, I went to Germany and I stayed there for almost eight months. During a moment of you know, panic. It was actually really good and really healing for me because that was my first time ever actually being able to deal with my anxiety. Mm -hmm. uh, I got a, I was, I was seeing a doctor over there, a therapist, and was able to deal with my anxiety um, a little better. But then when I came back, you know, Danielle had moved on. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I ended up getting married to another woman about four years later, and that did not work out. It was not meant to be, but in 2014 um, was when I went through the divorce with my first wife. Danielle was also going through a bit of a breakup with her then boyfriend because he was pretty abusive. Mm -hmm. So Danielle and I got back together. So that time it, it stuck and Danielle and I, um, moved in actually with Caleb. I was living with Caleb at the time. And we moved in together at Caleb's house and lived together for a couple of years before we got our own apartment. Um, sorry, I'm trying to not get emotional. <laughs> uh, okay. it, it kind of felt, I guess I've never been like a higher power sort of guy, but it did kind of feel faded. Mm just because, um, oh, I guess I forgot to mention that in 2009, she actually, like her and I had hooked up prior to us actually starting a relationship. 
And in 2009, I was chasing her <laughs> and she wasn't interested in me. And then 2010 is when we actually got together and then I, you know, dumped her. And then 2014 was when we finally sort of met up and made it work. And, uh, you know, it was everything that you would expect. It was easy and flawless, you know, um, we complimented each other and we're just had decided that we were soulmates and mm. So uh, Danielle got cancer, she was diagnosed with cancer, cervical cancer in 2019. Um, had her own apartment. We were planning on getting a house, like, uh, you know, normal stuff, like every, everything you would expect. And then, yeah, so she got diagnosed with cervical cancer in 2019. And then um, it was supposed to be like just a, um, like a removal, like just go in and take the tumor out. But it was going to, it, was, it had grown too large. So then they realized that they had to do radiation. So uh, Danielle decided that because that was going to destroy her fertility and her and I had wanted kids, uh, we decided that we were gonna make some embryos and. Um, so we ended up doing that and she got the radiation uh, and then the cancer and everything was fine, but it, it came back in 2020, uh, around May of 2020, and she ended up passing away October 28th of last year. So we're coming up on a, on a year here <laughs> in about a month. I'm so sorry. I know that, you know, there's not. There are no words that you can say that would really actually like bring comfort, but I am really sorry for both of your losses. They, um, yeah, they just, it hits me in a, a very vulnerable place. And, um, and I really appreciate both of you being so vulnerable with just opening up and talking about your grief. Um, so now I just want to ask what, we can start with you, Sarah, like what has your grief journey looked like since um, Caleb's passing and what are some of the ways that you've processed his, his loss? Yeah, um, well, I, I started out really just, I mean, probably as most people do, just trying to get through each minute of the day and I had a lot of support, like my family was there. I, close friends that were very helpful um and I had been through so much trauma and hard times in my past I guess I had this sense like I can get through this I just don't mm -hmm. want to <laughs> like I remember having the thought like because I've heard so many times that like, grief changes you and like I'm like I don't want to change like I like who I am now I like my life like it it just sucks so much having this like huge hurdle that I have no choice but to like get through and I mm -hmm. remember having the thought like there's no way around this, like it just through, and like that's the only way I just have to keep going. And I definitely had some dark moments. I'm not gonna pretend it was easier that I healed instantly. I'm I'm still working on that. <laughs> and um I definitely had moments where I didn't want to keep going, but I thought like, well, it would just be so easy to just join Caleb on the other side right now. Like why mm -hmm. I do that? And especially with having like a pretty 
traditional Christian background, there's such an emphasis on like heaven. And I was like, well, if heaven's our goal, why don't I just go there? Like, what's the point mm-hmm. of suffering here? And like going through all of this crap when like the things I want the most in this world is there. And so that, that was very hard. Um, just processing that, trying to come to terms with what's the point of being here at all. Like, um, is there anything that I'm really bringing to the world? Those kinds of things. Um, I definitely had some close people in my life to help me get through that. And um, Jared is one of those people. And some of my best friends, people that I called and we just talked for hours on the phone. Um, I, I did have some kind of surprising and unexpected like spiritual experiences that helped me a lot as well. Well, I didn't have any specific beliefs on the afterlife or heaven or really what happens after you die. And it's because I didn't have to have beliefs on that at this point. That hadn't really affected me until Felix died. And it was easy to be agnostic on those topics, just saying, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And that was just really the easiest thing to do. And suddenly I was thrust into this place where I had to figure out what I thought about it. Mm-hmm. And that was terrifying and very difficult, especially with past trauma from religion saying things like God will do anything to bring you back. And if you love something too much, God will take it away. And all of these things that made me feel like maybe it was my fault that I would have died mm-hmm. and trauma that maybe he was burning alive in hell right now, which is not at all what I actually believe, but it's still something I had to go through. Um, but I had these really unexpected experiences, not experiences I was seeking or looking for necessarily, but it was very quickly after Caleb passed, maybe within the first couple of days that I had gone to sleep in our in our bed and it was very weird being alone there. And I suddenly felt this very strong presence that was obviously him and it's hard to explain or prove how I knew that but it's just that that feeling like you know what your person feels like and it was very familiar and it was him for sure and it was even very physical like I could kind of feel like arms around me and like warmth like I was being held and that feeling just stayed like all night it was like he was holding me and I'd be like asleep and like still consciously like aware that that presence was there throughout the night and that happened multiple nights um i I don't remember exactly how many nights, but it was almost every night for maybe a few weeks. Um, there was uh, one time where after we received the like the ashes back and I had a little urn, I kind of, um, without really thinking about it, just set it on the bed and I forgot to like remove it that night. And then um, that was the first night that I didn't feel the presence like right next to me. It felt like he was like standing next to the bed or like hovering near me, but not getting into bed. And I was like, that's weird like why is that happening and I was talking to him about it and not really getting much and so I just went to sleep and in the morning same thing it felt like he was kind of on the edge of the bed and I noticed the urn there I was like oh is this in your way like do you want me to move this and so I like moved it and then suddenly it felt like he was in bed with me again which was kind of funny and and I the way I took it is that he wanted me to realize that he wasn't in the urn like it was mm. a comforting thing like I'm okay like that's just my ashes like you don't have to have those close to you as a comfort I mean you can but that's not me and that that was really comforting um another really impactful one was um I was in his in our room and just kind of had an urge to like open the top door of his dresser which I don't normally go through his things or anything but I just felt an urge to like look inside there and and as I was doing that I, I heard like a voice I guess in my head and it just said whatever you find in here 
just remember who you know me to be and trust that I love you. And that was kind of an interesting thing to hear, not what I would have expected to hear. So then I actually found his journal, which I didn't know he kept a journal and I have never seen it before. And I've seen him opening his drawer and it wasn't in there. And so it was odd to find that. And he hadn't written a lot, but the things that I did see were both very sweet and comforting. Some things about our relationship that was very sweet. And there were some harder things too, like him opening up about his depression and pain that he had gone through that was hard for me to see. And it was also hard that he hadn't totally opened up to me about some of those things. Mm. And that just made total sense that he would have warned me like, hey, if something here bothers you, just remember who I am and remember that I love you. And mm. that just made it so much easier to read the harder things and know that I could trust him and trust our relationship. And um, probably the most impactful experience of probably the last story that I'll share on, on those, but maybe like a few weeks or a month later, um, I was sitting on our bed and I was actually on the phone with Jared and talking to him and it was like during the conversation that I was like suddenly feeling that presence and it was the first time that I felt Kayla's presence and I wasn't um, totally alone and undistracted and um, it just was like really strong and I was kind of getting this urge to like open that drawer again but I was like on the phone and I I just didn't do it. And so I started walking outside. I was going to get in my car and leave to go see Jared. And I just kept getting this strong urge, like almost like pulling me back in the house. Like, don't leave yet. Like, you need to stay here for a little bit longer. So I actually told Jared, I was like, actually, I need to go. Like, I'll be, I'll be back in a few minutes. Like, I need to go here for a minute. And it was that strong of an urge that I was like hanging up the phone pulling the keys back out of my purse, like setting all my things down, unlocking the door, coming back inside. And it, the presence kind of like led me back into our room and had that urge again, just like open the drawer. And I just felt like I was being led like step by step on what to do and pulled out the journal. And then it seemed like I was supposed to open up my jewelry box, which is where I kept our love notes that he'd written to me. Hmm. And as I like did that, I was like, just, studying the notes I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing just looking at them and enjoying them and and I noticed that the pattern on the paper from the love notes was kind of unique and that I could probably recognize it somewhere else if I found the original page that it was torn from Mm. and then I just got the sudden feeling like oh maybe he actually tore these out of his journal and so I like looked in the journal and lo and behold it was the exact same pattern and so I started flipping through it. Maybe I can find the page to like tore it from, which would be kind of cool. And yeah. and I actually did. I found it. So then I like lined up all the notes and every single note like fit in perfectly like a puzzle. And I just <laughs> lost it and started crying because it's such a sweet little thing, you know, like it felt like one of those little best friend necklaces where like the two mm-hmm. hearts are like coming back together. And he like totally knows that I would love something like that, just something cheesy and cute and silly to remind me that he like loved me and I just felt his presence like really strongly there with me like as if he was like beaming like so happy that I found that and like kind of like a reassurance like I knew you would love this like this is why I had to show it to you like I'm so glad that you found it and and so I was just like crying <laughs> for a long time but they're just really thankful that that happened and so those kinds of experiences just gave me a lot of comfort and let me know he's okay. Um, mm-hmm. I don't really have any <clears throat> specific beliefs still on like how exactly things work after after death, but I just know he's okay. I know that 
it's good. And I just keep getting these like reassurances from him that I don't need to worry about him, that he's he's doing well and that, that things are good. So that, that was very comforting and um, sharing those stories definitely gets me in hot water with the conservative church at times because they just like can't wrap their mind around it. But, um, but I'm really thankful for those stories. Yeah. Has that helped too with some of the guilt of the things that you were taught? Like, um, you know, God will do anything to take you back to him. Or if you love something for too much, he'll take it away from you, which like, I definitely remember learning, but I don't remember it ever actually being in the Bible and like things like that. Um, did those experiences sort of help relieve some of that guilt and sort of show you that that's not true? Or was there anything specific that helped you kind of address that? Um, I think those experiences helped me the most because I guess I tend to be more emotionally wired and like logic doesn't help me as much because mm -hmm. my brain's like, oh, you can logic your way into anything. But like if I have a powerful experience, I'm like, well, that just happened <laughs> and there's no denying that. And anytime I start to worry again, I can just remember what that felt like and bring myself back there. So for the way that I'm wired, that just was very, very helpful. And I did have a few very close friends and his sister had similar experiences around the same time. Mm -hmm. And so as we were sharing stories, that was like extra comforting. Like I'm not the crazy one here. <laughs> like we're, we're all having some of these experiences. And, um, and that was helpful for all of us because all of us have like a Christian background. I think we all struggled similarly with that. Um, and just reminding myself, like if, if God really is good, God's going to like want to bring all people together, unity coming together with the divine, like that's, that's the goal. <laughs> I don't need to worry about people getting thrown into a burning lake of fire. So yeah. that has helped me a lot for sure. Yeah. And also, it seems like talking to people has been really helpful for you in your grief journey. Do you feel like that was true? Like kind of talking these things out was helpful for you processing? It, it was for sure. Um, I did have to choose who I was going to talk to about some of the more nagging doubts and really vulnerable questions that I had because I was just aware that some answers were just not going to help me, um, could make me feel worse, those kinds of things. Um, and just filtering out some of the advice that I got. If it resonated with me, I would take it and go with it. And if it didn't, I didn't have to take that with me. So. Yeah. And Jared, what has your grief journey looked like? Have there been things that have helped, things that have made it worse and heavier? Or what is what has it looked like for you? I, I would say that Caleb was my support um, when I lost Danielle. Mm -hmm. And then that was pretty hard. <laughs> I mean, losing Danielle obviously was terrible. I kind of stopped caring. Um, I think I just tuned everything out. Um, I've always been like a huge nerd. I mean, at the time I was working, I was doing IT work and I was working at night. So it was really easy to avoid people. And that's pretty much what I did is I just sat in a computer chair and ate junk food for six months. And it did not reflect well on my health. 
I, I don't have, I've never had the experiences that Sarah has had as far as spirituality. I've had nothing. So I guess during that whole time, I just asked for something. I know I, I journaled a bit. I spoke to a really terrible counselor from yes. the hospice, uh, hospice company that took care of Danielle. And the counselor, I only spoke to her once and basically the only helpful thing she suggested to me was writing and which I'm, I'm much better, I'm much better on paper than I am speaking. So the, the writing I did was very dark and very depressing <laughs> and directed towards Danielle. Uh, it was a whole lot of, you know, where are you? I feel nothing, like that sort of thing. Uh, what's the point? <laughs> and then Caleb died. And I don't know. I would have probably continued giving up. Um, my health was pretty bad at that point. I think my blood pressure was... I mean, it was really high. I, I did end up going to the doctor. I can't ever remember what the numbers were, but it was like, it was life-threatening <laughs> just from not moving for months, basically. I mean, I'd get up, get in my car, go sit, and then I'd get in my car and go home and sit. And I, you know, when Danielle was sick, I kept the house spotless because she would have, because she hated messes. Um, <laughs> so it was something that we shared and like had our own little friendly argument about, but when she got sick, I just couldn't figure out what to do. Um, so I just spent that time taking care of her and cleaning up the house. But then after she passed, I just let it all go. <laughs> so yeah, just kind of living in darkness working at night, uh, letting my health go. That was pretty much it. <laughs> and I guess uh, when Caleb passed, I was just like, well, why not? Mm -hmm. um, I, I, it's weird because I can sit here and say like I lost the two people closest to me and that's true. But it doesn't necessarily feel worse, I guess. Uh, losing two people feels the same as losing one person, mm -hmm. especially when they're really close to you. It just compounds. It, it, it almost makes sense. Mm. Like, I was in such a dark place that it just made sense. Yeah. And I think one of the things you're touching on is something that I know a lot of people will relate to, and that's just like, especially I'm sure, I mean, I, I don't know from experience, but I'm sure when you're taking care of someone, you have purpose. And oftentimes when we lose someone, whether we're taking care of them or not, we, we lose a sense of our purpose because that relationship, you know, was a piece of us and it was who we, we were. So 
I know a lot of people can relate to that sense of loss of not only did you lose this wonderful person, but you also lost a piece of yourself and a piece of the purpose that you felt. And so, so many times in grief, we're rediscovering who we are after the loss and it's totally scary. I heard this quote or this like uh, saying the other day, they were talking about hope and it was interesting because they, the person said like the, the people who have life all together where things like go well for them and they haven't experienced loss or stretching or just like anything painful. Those are the people who are actually hopeless. And that was super encouraging to me because hope was something I struggled with in the early days of my grief. I just, it seemed like something where I was, I felt uh, not just apathy, I felt like anger towards. I was like, the word itself was like something I didn't even like hearing. And, um, and so now thinking about that, that saying of, hey, I was not the one who was hopeless. I would have, I was hopeless before when everything was going well. And now hope actually is something that can be worked towards. But um, yeah, I think we're all familiar with that darkness and that dark place. And for some it's, it's a longer period of time. And for some it's a darker, it gets darker and darker. And knowing that this is survivable is, like you said, Sarah, you didn't want to survive it. You didn't want to come out to be the, the person that, that changed. And I think that's completely relatable and understandable too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, when I first started hanging out with Jared, um, I reached out to him pretty quick after Caleb died, partly because I had to tell him what happened and partly because I had this deep sense of like protectiveness over the people that Caleb would take care of. Mm -hmm. And like I still, I still am Caleb's partner. I will always be. And so it's my job for the rest of my life to carry on Caleb's work mm -hmm. and taking care of Caleb's best friends was part of that. And so I've done a lot of intentional things to bring together his closest friends and to have like bonfires in the backyard and just bring those people all in one place. And part of that was both trying to support Jared and also desperately needing his support and very mm -hmm. early on realizing he's maybe the only person in my life that would have the smallest idea of what I'm actually going through. <laughs> um, even though my entire community was grieving because we have many mutual friends, it's, it is just a little bit different when it's your friend versus your spouse. And so mm -hmm. um, there were just lots of late nights of me like falling <laughs> on his bed and we were just like holding each other and crying. He was five months ahead of me in his journey. And at that point, five months is like eternity. Yeah. <laughs> so like I could not imagine myself five months in the future. It was like light years away. So to think that he was like five months ahead of me, I really looked to him a lot to like see like how the heck am I going to get through this and how am I going to be okay? And so even though he was like early on in his journey too, like in those really early moments, five months is just such a big deal so like I just really looked to him a lot and in those dark moments when I didn't want to keep living like he was one of the biggest reasons that kept me going because he would remind me of the reasons that he saw life being beautiful and I was like if somebody that lost two of the closest people to him can say that like I can keep going and that helped a lot so I think we 
kind of saved each other and kind of kept each other going. Um, <clears throat> that was definitely a, a big blessing. I, I do tend to struggle with depression and so I can't even imagine like not having that person there for me. And I know so many people go through this journey without having that. And I can't imagine like just being totally alone and like coming home alone every night and waking up alone every day. And, and that this is like so incredibly hard as it is. So like, I'm just really glad I didn't have to not have his support. Um, yeah, it's been really helpful. Yeah. I think when you said that we lose our purpose, that was that I mean that resonates with me because I am the type of person that likes to solve problems and I I guess fix everything like emotional and not um so you know when Danielle got sick I was like it's fine um we'll get through this like handle all the hospital bills, handle all the, like, just take everything off of her plate so that she can recover. And I guess when it didn't work, I was left with this profound sense of guilt. Mm. And uh, I didn't really find any purpose at all during those five to six months, basically, until... Sarah approached me and said that we should support each other. Mm -hmm. So that was extremely significant to me. And it reminded me that I guess the world does not really revolve around my grief, as harsh as that sounds. But during that time, I was also thinking like, woe is me. Um, nobody understands. And I was shutting people out, like mm -hmm. significant people like Danielle's mother you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, and I guess when Sarah came forward and said, hey, I need you, that was really impactful for me and kind of gave me a new sense of purpose that I realized that, oh, right, like, uh, Caleb had a fiance, mm -hmm. and she knows she's, she's going through what I was just going through, uh, she was Caleb's best, closest person. Uh, I hardly knew Sarah, honestly. Uh, I just knew that anybody that Caleb would choose to marry must be a really incredible person. And that I wouldn't really be doing right by my friend if I didn't support her in whatever she needed and help her during this time. So it gave me a sense of purpose and it kind of gave me a reason to get up also and uh like i'd come over here and i'd bring her groceries and we'd talk and we'd cry and then she'd come over to my house and she'd talk and we'd cry and back and forth <laughs> basically uh and then we got closer along the way in our sort of shared <laughs> grief and love and I guess appreciation for each other and how like impactful and important that we've been to each other through everything. It's interesting that you quoted that hope because I scoured the internet looking for uh, sayings and I, I remember that one. Um, there was another one that I really, really liked that said, I mean, it's very long, but I think one of my favorite parts about it was uh, 
that it was from a, an old man who was talking about grief. And I'm a water, I'm, I'm a person who loves water. And I have been in the Navy, like the military, and I've always been fascinated with ships. And so this whole analogy is all about shipwrecks and stuff. And mm -hmm. But the part that I love the most about it was that when you lose somebody, you are cut deeply. Um, and that, you know, to your core. And that leaves a scar. And the scar is very deep. And it never really fully heals. But the star kind of, the star proves that you can feel. And it proves that you can be cut. And that you loved that person and that they meant something to you. And it's very bittersweet how he wraps up because he's old and he's lost a lot of people basically in his life. But he wraps it up saying like, I, I hope that you'll live a long life and I hope that you'll experience many more loves and I guess in that respect, many more scars because love and loss kind of go hand in hand. But I guess, I guess that, that whole quote with like your quote with, um, that you quoted with the hopelessness and <laughs> that quote from that I saw it just kind of both remind me that life is worth living. Yeah. So part of that quote he shared it with me really early on and it talks about like clinging to pieces of the shipwreck and, and the waves of grief and trying to find other people that you can like cling to together. So that's really what it felt like in those early days together. We were like physically clinging to each other and it sometimes that was the only thing that could keep me like going forward is just like physically just grabbing onto somebody and like in this moment this person's like got me and I just could not think about the future I couldn't think more than like a day ahead it was too overwhelming and we're holding on to each other and just crying was very hopeful yeah um as we started like dating it was a little complicated because we it was kind of fast it was like a few months after Caleb passed um so there's all the complications of societal expectations and what will the family think and we didn't choose to tell anyone for a few more months after that and um just navigating all of that like on one side like it really doesn't matter what people think like whatever helps us heal and then the other way I also want to make sure to be sensitive to Caleb's family and I want to mm -hmm. honor Caleb which I don't believe that our relationship dishonors Caleb at all but I do believe that if I somehow portrayed to people that I was moving on super fast because Caleb didn't mean anything to me then that mm -hmm. could potentially be dishonoring so I was being very careful how I shared the news and when and um and so far I mean at this point everybody knows and so far everyone's been very supportive and excited for us which I really appreciate and family members too they've been very happy and Caleb's family has actually like welcomed Jared into his family so mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm losing them instead we're just bringing another family member in and his family that I've met has been very accepting of me as well and that's been really beautiful but I guess I don't want to like communicate that like now that we have each other it's like everything's tied up with a pretty little bow and it's all perfect because it's still really challenging like we're dealing with things most couples never have to face and mm -hmm. 
if they do, it's after years of built trust and shared experiences. And we don't have much of that yet because we're still new. So we're facing things that we really should never have to. And if we do, it would usually be with someone we have years of built trust with. And it's tricky investing in a new relationship, giving it the time and attention it deserves when you're depressed and you're grieving. And um, I guess whoever is listening to this, just telling them that it's, it is possible to love again and it's so healing and beautiful, but it's not easy. <laughs> that it's, it's got its own set of challenges and maybe in some ways it would be easier just to shut out love entirely, but I would say it's worth it not to, um, but it is definitely hard. It's, it's hard to support each other sometimes when we're both having a bad day at the same time, you know, like I feel like I'm at my wits end and like losing it. And then he's needing support. And I'm like, I have nothing to give right now. Or he's um, supporting me, but he really has a bad day and really doesn't have much to give, but he's doing it anyway, you know, things like that. And it's, it's hard, but it's, it's very beautiful too. Yeah. Do you both feel like you grieve in similar ways or do you feel like you um, grieve in different ways? Oh, I guess I haven't really thought about that before. I guess it's a little bit complex because I have like a diagnosis of PTSD. And so the way I handle my grief is not always the healthiest because mm -hmm. I was pretty healed from my trauma. And then Caleb's death just threw me back about five or six years into the past when it comes to my mental health progress. So I'm dealing with triggers and feeling like I'm stuck in, in the past. And um, so I tend to have like lash outs and like, <laughs> like panic attacks and things where I'm like, um, just not handling it healthily sometimes. And um, I guess that's more my mental health diagnosis than anything else. But um, I guess, I guess we both tend to be pretty communicative and talk to each other, which which is helpful, I think. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, uh, interestingly enough, along with my anxiety diagnosis back in the day, you know, decade ago or so now, I also received a diagnosis of, um, oh gosh, I can't remember what they called it, but it was roughly like a sociopathic tendency mm -hmm. that I, sort of evaluated and dealt with that something from my childhood, but I never processed extreme sadness or anger. Mm. Literally had never processed like rage or depression in my whole life, which sounds like a blessing, except I <laughs> quote unquote fixed it. Like I went through the work to like, um, kind of approach that part of myself and learn learn to be vulnerable mm -hmm. and a lot of that was with my wife um, with Danielle she helped me kind of like simple things like it's okay to cry mm -hmm. whereas previously throughout my entire life I've been called a robot you know and that kind of stuff uh, when something tragic happened but it came at a really inopportune time because then she died 
and now I don't actually know how to deal with things mm -hmm. because it's like going from zero to 60, you know, uh, whereas previously, like my grandma, for example, who was very close to me, um, her and I were inseparable. And then like her whole death story with my grandpa and my grandma, like it's beautiful and mystical and really bittersweet, but I would just say like, I miss her and I never cried. Same with close friends, um, same with some kind of messed up stuff that happened in the military. But then in the last seven or so years, getting through a lot of that and learning to be vulnerable again and then losing the person closest to me, the two people closest to me, I'm just a mess. I don't actually know what to do with my grief. I turn to external resources more often than anything. Um, there was a terrible counselor with hospice. <laughs> uh, I mean, she just kept asking me questions. Like, like, it was just like, well, how do you feel about this? And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, I feel terrible. <laughs> um, <laughs> she didn't actually give me any suggestions other than the, the journaling. But so I would, act, I, I turn towards Sarah a lot in my grief, even though she's a little self-deprecating about her PTSD and stuff. She's actually very steadfast. I've had no spiritual experiences. I don't think that there's a God. Um, I don't know if there's an afterlife. I hope that there's an afterlife because the thought of pure darkness is extremely depressing to me. Like I've struggled with my own mortality the past two years, basically ever since Danielle got her first diagnosis, I struggled with mortality for the first time in my life. And just start feeling like I'm surrounded with death and just don't know how to grieve, I guess, other than just, like she said, stay in the moment. Yeah. Um, so I actually think she's a little better at dealing with this stuff than I am when she's not spiraling. Um, because I feel like the only way that I know how to deal with it is to just spiral because I don't have a throttle, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's just like maximum depression or not. <laughs> and so uh, I still haven't figured out how to like dial back the gauge or anything like that. So it's usually just like me going for a long drive and just bawling my eyes out in my car or something like that, or just hugging her tight, I guess. Um, surprisingly, it, it really wowed me because I think back to like when I, when Danielle died, I, like, I think, I think when she first passed, I mean, I don't know if I get, can it, can it be a little gruesome on this podcast? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think when she first passed, uh, her mom ran into the living room and just started screaming, my baby, my baby's gone. And mm. I had just like 30 minutes prior told Danielle that I was going to go lay down and take a nap. And she wasn't responsive at the time. Mm. She was, you know, dying. Uh, so, but anyway, so I... <laughs> I think I went in there and I like hugged her corpse, which sounds disgusting, but it seemed like the right thing to do in the moment. And 
then I had this realization, like I'm hugging a dead body, what's wrong with me? And uh, from then on out, it was just, I guess, like numb misery. I didn't want to deal with anything. I didn't want to talk to anyone. Sarah hears about Caleb and she's like knocking on people's doors to tell them what happened. So there's a very clear difference there. I don't know what exactly the difference is and how we process our immediate grief. But like me, I just, you know, shut everything out. Mm -hmm. I also, um, I've also struggled with alcohol in the past. So I guess also staying indoors was another way for me to cope and not spiral further, I mm -hmm. guess, to avoid any temptation there. But mm -hmm. regardless, I just shut people out. Like I just avoided everyone and didn't want to talk about it. And then Sarah immediately after it happened, that was immediately after it happened. And then Sarah immediately after it happened with her and Caleb was like telling everyone mm. and like looking for support and trying to organize ways to like honor him. So like, I really, really think she's better at this than I am. Like when she's like of, of her right mind, I guess, um, you know, like not having like PTSD spirals. Yeah. So I really appreciate that with her. There are some differences, I guess, in those those are the most clear ones that I can think of. Yeah. So um, um, my listeners have heard my story, but I'll tell you, Jared, uh, my son was stillborn. That's what made me decide to start this podcast. And um, when he, I had him via C-section and when he was born, the doctors asked, or the nurses said, you know, do you want to see him? And I was really scared because obviously he's not alive. And um, my husband and I decided all before um, he was born that we did want to see him and hold him. And we actually spent the whole night with him in the room holding him. And so it doesn't sound strange to me at all that you held your wife. And I've heard so many stories where people have done the same thing. And I think it actually does bring us a lot of comfort and there's something about being able to say goodbye to someone's body um, that I think is a very real part of the experience. Um, and for me, you know, I, I can't imagine had I gone through that whole, whole experience without actually physically meeting him. Um, obviously it's a different situation, but um, yeah, so that, that doesn't sound <laughs> gruesome or strange to me at all and it won't to anybody who's experienced similar things and I think you know there is no right or wrong way to grieve we all handle it differently and it is survival like so much of this is just how do I make it through the next minute to the next hour to the next day um, and so whether or not you someone dives deep inside themselves or looks to others you know I don't think that there's really a right or wrong I think it's just we're all coping and we're all <laughs> on this journey and 
no one's ahead of the other person. We're just kind of on these different unique paths because we're all different unique people. But thank you so much for sharing what that was like for you and for being vulnerable. I know that isn't easy. Well, it's a little too easy now is the problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'm sorry to hear about your loss. Oh, thank you. Um, I do, this is a terrible, I wish I had a better analogy, but I, when I think of you both, like I, I see like the, have you seen the movie that's a Disney movie, The Emperor's New Groove? Yeah. Okay. So there's, there's, she hasn't. Okay. She's a sheltered girl. I wish, (laughs) wish I had a more deep analogy, but, um, you know, there's a part where they're back to back, the two main characters are back to back and they're like climbing up the side of a mountain together and they're using each other's like weight to kind of press up against each other in order to use their legs to like climb up the mountain. And that's just kind of how I see your relationship. You know, like sometimes one of you may feel stronger or weaker than the other, but it does really seem like you're both like kind of using that energy back to back to carry each other up and I think that's really beautiful and I'm so thankful that you did you know I'm sure it must have been scary and I would have had those those thoughts of what does society think about our relationship or what is you know what am my family gonna think like all of those things would have would have come to me too and I'm so glad that you were brave enough to you know take those into consideration but to kind of ignore them too, if that makes sense. And to say, no, you're doing what's best for you and you're doing what you know is gonna be good for each other. And I I think that's wonderful. I like that analogy. I think I'm gonna to have to make her watch that now. <laughs> yeah. she's, yeah. a, she's, a, she's a sheltered woman. That's <laughs> when it comes to like pop culture and media. So that's actually been kind of exciting for me as somebody who's grown up kind of absolutely immersed in it. I, I think uh, Caleb was sort of the same. I was always excited to show you things that you hadn't seen yet. Yeah, like a fresh pair of eyes. <laughs> like reliving the experience that originally we, like the, how we originally experienced it, like reliving it through Sarah's eyes. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Slowly catching up. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, are there any ways that you um, honor Caleb? Um, in your life now? Yeah, um, honoring him was just super important to me. I'm not sure why that became like such a deep conviction um, as a huge part of my my grief journey, but I guess I just felt like as his partner and like soon to be wife, that just felt like my calling. That's what I was supposed to do. And like I mentioned earlier, bringing some of his closest friends together was a big part of that. I knew that he would want us to rely on each other. And some of his best friends had barely met each other over the years. So to have us like all in one place, sharing stories around a campfire, supporting each other, that just felt super important and felt like all of us had a little piece of Caleb with us and he was a little bit more alive and present when we were together. Um, something else that I did is since I never got a chance to share our vows at our wedding I actually wrote like an altered version of our vows for the funeral and I publicly declared 
vows to honor him and to carry on his work and to share his story everywhere that I went and things mm -hmm. like that. And that felt extremely meaningful and very important to be able to publicly declare how important he was to me and that I was still dedicated to him throughout the rest of my life. Um, something kind of cool that I did is um, we went to uh, so Caleb and I and one of our best friends, Emily, about a year before he passed, had gone on a little backpack trip out to a lake and went camping. And that was just such a fun experience for Caleb. He just went on and on about it and would talk about it all the time. So Emily and I actually went back out there almost a year later. And I brought some of his ashes. And um, my goal was to find like a little tree that was like big enough that it was established and it wasn't going to die, but like small enough that it was going to grow a lot more in the future. And so mm -hmm. I found one, it was perfect. It was right on the edge of our campsite and it was like the perfect size and had a beautiful view of the lake and the mountain. And so I buried some of his ashes like in the roots of the tree so that it would grow up with the tree. And then I cut off some of my hair and buried it with the ashes too. That way we'd be both together in the tree. And that felt really special. It felt important to like, leave a part of myself there with him too and there's um lots of other things that I've done like I, I changed my name to his last name and that felt really exciting to do um with my first marriage it for whatever reason didn't feel good to me to change my name probably mostly because it's an abusive relationship but this time around I was like so excited to take on his name and so I decided to do it anyway and feels really exciting to um to have his name I remember him telling me like I wouldn't give my last name to just anybody and that mm -hmm. was a gift he wanted to give me so I wanted to accept it so um we had designed an engagement ring together and we were basically like one click away from ordering it and so I wrestled over whether or not to get it for like a few weeks and the only thing left that we had to do with Caleb was going to put an inscription on the inside and he just hadn't decided what to say yet mm. and so I decided to get the ring and I decided to take one of the um, one of the love notes oh it's beautiful <laughs> we, we custom designed it together and I took one of his love notes that he had hidden for me in the house that I discovered sometime last year um, and I put that note inside the ring because I said it's still him talking to me and it's very similar to I think what he would have said and um, something he did say and so that was really special and I wear it every day I find to wear it for the rest of my life and that's important to me I, I put his name on the inside as well so that um, it'll always be his ring no matter what and, um, on when the wedding day passed on August 28th um, I decided to get as much of the bridal party together as possible. Um, and we had a little camp out and spent time together. That felt important to not just let that day pass. Yeah. Um, I also ordered um, my size of Caleb's wedding ring. And because uh, his ring's too big for me and it's tungsten, I can't resize it. And so I ordered a second copy that's my size and I wear that every day. And that's honestly even more comforting than my engagement ring. It just mm -hmm. feels so nice to have that there on my hand and um I got photos of me in my wedding dress um 
a week after the wedding date and Jared took those. He used to have a photography business. So he's really good at photography and well. um, <laughs> you are really good. <laughs> and um, so we went up to like a mountaintop where Caleb and I had gone together. It was actually one of the locations we had considered for the wedding and went there, got pictures. Some of them were just me in my dress. Some of them were with me like wearing his suit jacket or me holding a picture of him. Mm -hmm. um, we got close-ups of like the rings on the hands, things like that. And that felt very important. And that was probably the most closure that I felt. Um, people have told me things like going to the viewing would bring closure and that really didn't. Um, the funeral mm -hmm. didn't really bring closure, but for some reason, taking pictures in my wedding dress brought some closure and that, that helped. Um, one of my favorite things that I've done that Jared and I have done together to honor Caleb is that um, Caleb's always really admired my writing. I've um, done a lot of writing as a way to process my religious trauma and as a way to hopefully reach out to other people that have had similar experiences and to let them know that they're not alone and to try to put the really complicated process of like deconstructing your faith into poetic words that like just resonate on an emotional level and um Caleb was always like gently bugging me that I should like set it on like a blog or something like I've posted it on Facebook and Instagram before but he said like you need to make a page where like you actually own your writing like it's yours and mm. and he said that like because he's really he was very techie and like really good at building websites and he said like you can be the voice and I can amplify it like I can make the whole world hear you mm. and that's exactly what he said and that just meant so much to me that he like wanted to do that for me and and we were like almost at the point where we were about to make a, a website and that's when he passed away and and then Jared is also very techy and good at building websites and he brought it up to me and he said like I would like to do this for you because I know that Caleb would like for you to still share your writing and it's a way that I can honor Caleb as well and that just felt very appropriate to be able to do that and so we did get it set up um it's still new so there's not like a ton on there so far but i am very excited that it's there and i've been posting some of my poetry both about religious trauma and grief and um i called it sacred unraveling and that just means like the process of unraveling your strictly held beliefs can be a sacred journey and that mm -hmm. feels to me very important um, because in my experience I've found God more outside of the church than I did inside and so um, that's how I came up with the name and it just felt very exciting that the things that Caleb was working toward are still happening or some of those, those things are still happening and and so I, I do feel like I'm honoring him every time I write something and I'm brave enough to post it and share it and that's um, that's been really exciting and something that Jared and I are working on together. I love that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all those things. I think it's really important to find little ways to honor your person or even just kind of feel connected with them. Um, certainly helps. And I think it's great that you're also writing in a way to try to help other people. And I know that there are people who are going to find that incredibly helpful. And it's always so nice to know that there's someone else who's going through the same things that you are and to know that you're not alone in that journey. And so thank you so much for providing a space for people to 
know that they're not alone. That's really, really special. Yeah, of course. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Before we end, um, is there anything that either of you would say um, to someone who is in that deep, dark place um, where they are feeling hopeless, where they are feeling just that, that dark depression that comes with the early days of grief? Um, mm. <laughs> I guess primal screaming is nice. It sounds, it sounds silly, but I definitely felt better when I was just crying and I couldn't stop. And it's kind of natural too, um, to just like yell. I mean, it sounds small, I guess. There's not really like an easy answer that I can think of. I don't even know sometimes how I got through, but I know that um, I guess whenever you have a moment of clarity, it's a good idea to like take a shower and eat something. I mean, yeah, because I mean, it sounds, I don't know. It's just, I guess, focus on little things like don't go to work. Don't, I mean, unless that's how you grieve, I guess, unless that's important to you, but I, I, in my opinion, I, I would not have been able to survive work. I, I don't know, just, I guess, I guess the little things, just do what, do what feels natural and take care of yourself. Yeah. When you can. It's really good advice. I guess the um, thought that stuck with me, partly from those mystical experiences that I had and also ironically from something that the church taught me is the idea of like being the hands and feet of someone. So like the church tells you like, Oh, you're the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And after having these spiritual experiences where like Caleb's presence was so close to me and I could feel him communicating with me. And just this idea that we're like soulmates and like tied on the spiritual level. I was like, I'm like his hands and feet in the world. And that might even be something that I, I feel like Caleb's kind of communicated to me and that, helped me a bit because the more dead I was on the inside the more dead Caleb was and that's not to add any like guilt <laughs> to like your process or when you're struggling but the more like alive I can be and the more I can give in the world and interact in the world Caleb is doing that with me and that gave me some motivation to like keep going and have a reason to get up and <laughs> keep living so um, I guess, especially for people that have lost a spouse, like the idea of being soulmates connected on a spiritual level was comforting to me. It might not be for everybody, but mm. knowing that the way that I'm giving in the world, like he is too, and that I'm representing him in the world in a very tangible way. And I think that could work, even if it's not a spouse that you've lost to anyone close to you, that you're, their hands and feet, they're living through you. And that maybe they're even some of the motivation that you feel to go do something if you feel led to go be friends with somebody or to work on a hobby like maybe they're even encouraging you to do that and you not mm. realize it so um for me being a really mystical person that was very helpful like <laughs> realizing like maybe Caleb wants this for me and he can see more on the other side than I can and that's a pretty good thing for me to work on and 
Um, those kinds of things helped me get through. That's really cool. Yeah, and I can definitely resonate with that. I mean, it it definitely feels like I find purpose in doing things for my son. And I know a lot of people have felt similar things about loved ones that they've lost. So yeah, that's really helpful. Cool. So your website is sacred, is it sacredunraveling.com? It is. And I, I also have an Instagram page, Sacred Unraveling. I have just started that up and there's not anything posted on Instagram yet, but I'll be posting pretty soon. Um, so you can find me at either sacredunraveling.com or sacredunraveling on Instagram. That's wonderful. Yeah, so everybody go check those out. I think that would be super helpful for anyone who um, has experienced religious trauma or grief or guilt and any of the things that we've talked about. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate your vulnerability and your openness and just all of the insights that you've shared have been very helpful. Thank you so much. I'm excited that we got to share our stories with people. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. You're so welcome. Thanks for joining us today. I hope our conversation brought you encouragement and strength as well as the permission to give yourself grace. To learn more about the Morning Dove podcast and to engage with our grief community, you can join us on Instagram at Morning Dove Pod. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have a beautiful day.